Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. I hope you've brought your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find Acts chapter number 18. Acts chapter number 18. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. And while you're finding your place in Acts chapter number 18, I heard a story that uh, I thought was, uh, would be encouraging to each one of us. It's about a farmer, a farmer who was a widower. He didn't have anybody in his life except for his farm and his faithful dog. Uh, One day, however, the dog passed away. The farmer went to the preacher, and he said, Preacher, he said, my dog's dead. Could you possibly do a service for him? And the preacher kind of started a little bit, looked at him. He said, well, sir, he said, "Uh, we don't do services for animals in the church, but I'll tell you what, he said, there's a new denomination just up the road, and I'm not real sure what they believe, but they might be able to do something for the animal. Uh, and the farmer looked at the preacher. He said, okay. He said, I'll go, I'll go do that. He said, I got one more question. He said, do you think $50,000 is enough for a good service? To which the preacher said, well, you should have told me your dog was a Southern Baptist. <laughs> you know, a lot of times we can get, we can get so, uh, we get so uh, bent up and so tight. And we get all uh, excited, uh, if we would, about what's happening in our world today. And We fail to remember that God is in control. God's in control, and God is able to give you the strength that you need to get through whatever challenge or difficulty that you may be going through. Last week, we looked at uh, this passage of Scripture, and we looked at it through the eyes of Aquila and Priscilla. And we simply came away with some some really practical steps when we're feeling discouraged. Uh, we walked away with three, three basic things, and we walked away with the first one. We said that your pain has a purpose, but it's not always understood. You, you may not always understand the pain that you're going through, but it has a purpose. And we looked at Aquila and Priscilla and saw the pain that they had gone through now as they found themselves living in Corinth as they were forced out of Rome and out of business. And then the second thing we said is that your job is a platform, not the purpose for your life. Uh, When we look at Aquila and Priscilla, we see that the purpose for their life is the same purpose for all of us as born-again children of God, and that is that our lives would bring God glory. God wants glory from your life. And God receives that glory from your life as you live and walk in holiness and in truth, as you walk after the Spirit of God that lives inside of you, and, after, and as you fulfill the Great Commission. And so when you look at Aquila and Priscilla in their life, you see that. You see how they took this very difficult situation in their life as they, was, they were forced out of Rome. And then God encourages them and says, look, your pain is a purpose. And you may not understand it now, but God's going to use you mightily through the pain that you're going through. And then that your job is just a platform. It is not the purpose of your life. Wherever God has you, he's got you there for a reason. And that is the platform God wants you to use to be a witness for him. And then we said, number three, your ministry may be private, 
not public. Thank God for the private ministry of many believers. You may not think that your ministry is that glamorous. God doesn't care about glamorous ministry. He cares about obedience in ministry. And he wants you to be obedient in the ministry that he's given you. And it may not be a Billy Graham ministry. It may not be one of these big flamboyant ministries that exist today. It may be something very personal, something very private that we see also in Aquila and Priscilla's life. Uh, we know, we'll notice and uh, we won't notice it uh, today. But when you look at this passage of Scripture, uh, you see that Apollo comes to know Christ as Savior. And in doing so, he needed just a little bit of encouragement. And who were the private individuals that came alongside him to encourage him in a private discipleship ministry? It was Aquila and Priscilla. And we see, and we looked at just a little bit last week, how great God used Apollo there in Corinth as he was used by God with just a little correction by Aquila and Priscilla. It's just an amazing truth that your ministry may not be public. It may be a private ministry. This morning, I want us to shift gears, and I want us to look now at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul also had a very difficult time in Acts chapter 18 as he entered into Corinth. Remember, he's been run out of Athens. And as he's been run out of Athens, he was run out of Athens from the perspective that many were mocking him, and they were laughing at him. Some said, we may hear you again on this point. But the fact of the matter is, is Paul left Athens, and as he departed from Athens, from those philosophers, he entered into Corinth. Let's pick up where we left off. After he has met Aquila and Priscilla, he's working on tents with their occupation, according to verse 3. But notice what happens in verse number 4. The Bible says in verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks, Greeks, And when Simon and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Now let me stop and say something parenthetically just right here, just for context. Because it's been a while since we were in the book of Acts. We took four weeks off uh, talking about discovering Maysville. But here in verse number 5, remember, Silas and Timothy... He left them in Berea. They're still back over in Berea. And as they're over in Berea, uh, he, they're doing work. But they're coming to Paul quickly. And as they come to Paul quickly, it's not stated in the text. But we see this uh, throughout the scriptures, 1 Thessalonians and other passages of scripture. When they get to Paul, Paul's immediately going to send them back out. He's going to send Timothy to Thessalonica, and he's also going to send uh, Silas away as well. But he, they come and join him, and the point that we see in verse number 5 is that Paul, though he was deeply discouraged and now encouraged by Silas and Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla, continues the strategy that God gave him from the beginning to go into the synagogues and to compel people to come to Jesus Christ as he is filled with the Spirit. We also notice, we see a pattern here. Every time you see Paul, he does the same thing. Goes to a city, goes to church on the, on the Sabbath day, reasons from the Scriptures. Uh, some people receive Christ as Savior, other people get mad, and then there's this big uh, riot that normally happens in tremendous persecution. Paul has got to be so tired of this, but we see him in verse number 6, it happens again. Look at what the Scripture says. 
but when they opposed him. Now, let me stop right there. Uh, if you have your pens, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I would underline the word oppose because that means to fight physically. The Bible tells us here when they were ready to fight physically with Paul. I mean, they're ready to go, go uh, to blows with this. I mean, they're ready to punch it out. They're so mad at him. And then the Bible says not only do they want to fight him, but they're also blaspheming Jesus Christ. They're blaspheming who Christ is. They're saying that not only is he not the Messiah, they go on this big rampage on who he is not. And this is a blasphemous statement to Paul. So much so that he does something that he has not done up until this time. Look at what he says in verse number 6. He says, he shook his garments and he said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. For now, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, he has said in the past, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. But this is the first time we see him say with such uh, amazing authority from the scriptures, he says, your own blood is upon your own heads. I am clean of this matter. I have emptied myself of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm done. And he walks out. Verse 7. He departed from there and entered into the house of a certain man named Justice, who worshipped God, notice this, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in, the, in a night vision and said, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourself, for I do not want to be the judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the word this morning. We see here in this text how that God strengthens Paul and how God can strengthen you and I and give us the strength we need to be overcomers through Jesus Christ our Lord. We see again in verses 1 through 4 by way of introduction that Paul is in the city of Corinth. Corinth, as we know and have studied ex extensively and, and very, uh, we, we've studied it a lot, if you will, in regards to 1 Corinthians, and we've just kind of made this statement to associate what Corinth was all about. We have said Corinth is like the lost Vegas of our culture today. It was a place of moral looseness, that came dressed in the disguise of spiritual correctness. 
So it was a city that said, oh, it's okay to be a hedonist. It's okay to be a humanist. It's a part of your worship because you come from monkeys anyway. You might as well act like an animal. And so they created this, this great worship center, if you would, there in, Ath- or, excuse me, there in Corinth. And there was this Greek temple there to Aphrodite. Remember, Aphrodite was the goddess of love and pleasure. And so love and pleasure was for, at the forefront of Corinth. And that was the means of worship in Corinth. The Romans, who also occupied Corinth, knew uh, this Aphrodite as Venus. We've studied that and see it in history. And so when you read the history books and you're reading about the Romans, the Romans are calling Aphrodite Venus. The Greeks called her Aphrodite. Aphrodite, And she is one of which that they worship through explicit immorality. And they would give themselves to these uh, temple prostitutes, if you would, as an act of worship. I found it fascinating as I was reading a commentary, the reformer uh, Johannes Spannenberg pointed out this. Listen to what he said about Corinth, and I quote, There was a temple of the goddess Venus in Corinth, in which more than a thousand women fashioned in the image of Venus lived in open sin. Satan led the Corinthians into such blindness that they considered rampant shame a service to God. End of quote. When you read that, I find it very fascinating that in using the term Venus, it is a very interesting word. It is coming from a Latin adjective, uh, which is venereous, which is the English word where we get our root word, venereal. It carries the idea that these temple prostitutes were so infected with diseases that they unashamedly would spread it all through Corinth. It was a wicked, awful, detestable place. It was disgusting and nasty. And yet Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, was placed in Corinth to say, I need a witness here. I need somebody to testify to the goodness of God. And might I say that in the culture that we're living in, throughout the course of our wickedness, throughout the course of our immorality that exists across our land today and across our nation, there's got to be a godly witness in this place. And you and I are called by God to be that very godly witness. And so I hope that we would be encouraged by the fact that regardless of the downward spiral that America may be going through in its morality, and it is going that direction, it is our responsibility as born-again children of God who are called, if you would, into this ministry to be a light in a dark world, to point others to Jesus in a wicked generation. Paul did it, and he could only do it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And might I say, that's the only way you and I are going to be a witness in this culture today. To be filled with the Spirit of God in such a way that we testify not only to His goodness, but we beg God on our knees to rescue our culture. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, and we see Paul's encouragement that he gets from God, and the strength that he gets from God, There are two truths that are worth noting that are of great encouragement to us in our culture today. Let me give them to you if I could. Number one, the first one is found in verses 5 and 6. In verse 5 and 6, we see the truth that, listen to me, Christian, you, just like Paul, you are the watchman on the wall. You are the watchman on the wall. 
Did you see what happened again in verse 5 and 6? Notice the Bible. The Scripture tells us in verse 5 that when Silas and Timothy arrived, when they came back uh, from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. There's a truth that we've got to proclaim. Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him, here's the second truth, you're going to get opposition today. If you stand for Jesus Christ, you are going to get opposition today. And you may experience, like Paul did, blasphemy against Jesus. The Bible says he shook off his garments and he said to them, Here it is, your blood be upon your own heads. Now when we look at this passage of Scripture, there is no doubt Paul makes three statements here. It's the first statement that I want us to focus on for, the time, for time's sake. Paul says, your blood be upon your heads. Why did he say this? When you read this in its context, when we see this passage of Scripture, we clearly understand that it means that because the Jews are rejecting the gospel and refusing to heed Paul's warning, they were inviting destruction upon their own lives. They were bringing their blood on their own heads. This, of course, was a devastating tragedy. But the question is, where did Paul get this thought? Where did he get this? Might I say that it would not surprise me a bit. And we'll, we'll ask him when we get there. We'll fellowship around uh, the, a table when we get to heaven. And, and here's what I want to know. I want to know, Paul, were you preaching Ezekiel chapter 33 when you made that statement? Because in Ezekiel chapter number 33, with the text, with the word of God, we see this term used several times. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to find Ezekiel. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter number 33, we find this in the first nine verses. It could be, and it is highly probable, that this was the passage of Scripture that Paul was using as he was debating the Jews and encouraging them to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Look at what the Bible says, chapter number 33 of Ezekiel, beginning in verse number 1. Ezekiel is testifying to the fact that he is a proclaimer and he calls himself a watchman on the wall. And this is what he says. He says, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their own territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes to take him away, here it is, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warnings will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, the sword comes and takes any person from among them. He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Time and time again, here we find this blood being upon your own heads. And we find here that Paul simply says, look, I don't want that responsibility, so I'm coming and I'm, I'm blowing the trumpet. I'm sounding the alarm. You've got to trust Christ 
in order to have a relationship with God. Your religion is not what saves you. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a watchman on the wall, Paul says, it is my responsibility to blow the trumpet. And I've blown it as hard and as loud as I possibly can. Jesus is the only way to heaven. You will not get to heaven by your religion. You will not get to heaven by joining a church. You will not get to heaven by being baptized. You will not get to heaven any other way. Only through Jesus Christ will you get to heaven. That's what he was saying. And so Paul says this, I'm washing my hands of this situation. I've blown the trumpet as loud as I can and I'm walking away from it. The blood that's in your body is upon your own heads. Brothers and sisters, the application is so true today. We are the watchmen on the wall. It is our responsibility to blow the trumpet. And it's our responsibility to the great commission of Jesus Christ to which he has given you and I and sealed that with, with if you want, would Acts chapter 1 uh, in regards to the Holy Spirit of God giving us the strength that we need to testify of his goodness. It is our responsibility, our mandate. Nay, say it is critical that we share the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world because if we don't, the blood will be upon our hands. Paul says, I don't want that. I'm going to blow the trumpet. And I'm going to blow it so loud that I can wash my hands of this. I'm done. You've made your bed, now you're going to lie in it. It obviously was a point to which got many people's attention. Because we find out throughout the course of the context of this passage of Scripture we find that individuals come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. As a matter of fact, when we read the text, the Bible tells us in verse number 7 that he departed from there and he entered into the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And in verse number 8, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. We find that the passion that Paul had in regards to testifying to the truth of who Jesus was and just being right honest with people and just simply telling them the truth that you are going to stand one day before a judgment of God and as you stand before that judgment of God, he's not going to look at you whether or not you were a Jew or a Greek or a Gentile. He's not going to look at you to see whether or not you worshipped Aphrodite or Venus or, or in regards to Judaism. He is, however, going to judge you on what you did with Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. And therefore, being in the position of Paul as a pastor, and you being in the position, if you would, as a Christian, the application that you and I have is that we are the watchmen on the wall. We've got to blow the trumpet. We've got to testify. And the question then comes, well, what does that look like, Pastor? What does it look like blowing the trumpet? It looks like fleshing out the truth of Scripture and not just being a hearer of the Word only, 
but being a doer of the Word. You see, it's one thing to come and to hear a principle preached from the Word of God and see it in the context to which it was given, i.e., Paul being there in Corinth as God has led him to testify inside the synagogue there this wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ and to be rejected, and yet some receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And Paul make a statement like that. It is one thing to see it and rest in its context. It's something completely completely different to take that within its context receive it inside of our spirit and say God I want to apply that same truth in my life I am I'm willing and rather accepting the fact that I am the watchman on the wall and it is my responsibility as a born-again child of God to fulfill the great commission of God because I know that's bringing glory to God and as I bring glory to God, I want to testify of the great truths of Scripture and the greatest truth of Scripture of all is Jesus saves. And so we have this responsibility. And we take this responsibility in receiving the truth of God and we either apply it to our lives or we file it away in the cabinet of our mind as there's another good biblical principle. I want to challenge you today, church, to do not file it away in your mind, but receive it in your heart. Receive it in your heart that God has made you a watchman on the wall. And then leave this place. And whether you go to Walmart or Ingalls or, or, or whether you go over to Jefferson to Kroger or wherever you may go, blow the trumpet for the goodness of God. Blow the trumpet that judgment's coming. Blow the trumpet that Jesus saves. But not only do we see that truth that you're a watchman on a wall, there's a second principle I want to give you very quickly. And the second principle deals in the fact that in being a watchman on the wall can be discouraging. For you are there, think about it. A watchman on the wall is standing on the wall. He's looking out across the land and he's seeing the devastation and destruction that's taken place within the land. He's blowing the trumpet to his fellow countrymen saying, It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. The whole time he's watching it as it moves closer and closer. And there to see individuals not responding or not re getting ready or not receiving, in this case, Jesus Christ as their Savior. How discouraged can the watchman be? I can't blow the trumpet any louder than I'm blowing it, he must say. I'm doing the best that I can to blow the trumpet. There must be a tremendous discouragement that sets in. And we see this happening there in verse number 8. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says that as Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, as he believed on the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Christians hearing believed and were baptized. Verse 9, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And look at what the Lord says. Paul, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. In verses 7 all the way down to verse number 17, we see this second truth, and the second truth is simply this. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. So many times in the culture that we live in, 
We get discouraged even though we have people come to know Christ at the church. Even though we see people baptized in the church, there's still this discouragement. There's still this fear that oftentimes resides within us that the devil wants to use to shut you up. And it happened to Paul. Look at the text again. Look at verse number 9. I hope you have your pens ready. Look at what specifically what the Lord said. The Lord told Paul, do not be afraid. You know why the Lord told Paul not to be afraid? It's because he was afraid. Paul must have went to bed that night, Chris, and said, you know what? I could die in Corinth. I'm a little scared. Maybe I've been a little bit too passionate with the message. Maybe my zeal has just overtaken me to the point where I, I've made enemies. And, and he gets his mind, watch this, he gets his mind on the wrong things. That's what we do as Christians. We look around in our culture today, we look around in our society today, and we say this, Karen, we say, oh man, man, I, I can't talk about this, I can't talk about that, I can't talk about this. And we create this long list of do's and don'ts for the Christian faith. And we say, oh man, Christianity has no part in this realm of society. Christianity has no, no authority in this part of society. And there's no part of Christianity in this part of society. And we become so legalistic in our mindset. We become so legalistic in our biblical believism that we cut ourselves off from lost people and we don't get anywhere close to them because we, we just assume well, Christianity has nothing to do in that realm. And we say, I, 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 I'm scared to go in that realm and I'm scared to testify inside that realm because they might persecute me. Can I just ask you a question? If a lost and dying world is going to hell and we have been called to go and share the gospel with them, and we don't do it because we're afraid. Well, are we afraid we're going to send them to hell number two? That's as bad as it gets. Hell. They've already rejected Jesus Christ. If someone's stuck in a hole and the only way to get out of that hole is to throw them a rope. And you throw them a rope and they look up at you and they say, Well, thanks for the rope. We appreciate it. But they never grow, grow, grab hold of it. So that you can help pull them out of that hole. It's not your responsibility in regards to make them grab hold. But it's your responsibility to throw the rope in there and say, grab hold. I'll pull you up. Jesus is the rope. And we throw the rope down in the hole. And we say, get saved. Receive Christ. Trust Jesus. But that's a personal thing that they have to do. Just like it's a personal thing that you had to do. But we have got to get to a place in this culture where we stop being afraid. Paul was scared. And God told him in a dream, he said, do not be afraid. But look at what he says. But speak and do not keep silent. Look at verse number 10. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, if we were to just take time today and look at all those passages of Scripture where we've got the promise of God that He'll never leave us or forsake us. 
And if we could get that settled in our heart, listen, we'd be here the rest of the evening. Paul must have laid hold to this truth that God gave him in a dream. And brothers and sisters, here's what I'm saying to you today. We don't have to have a dream to receive this. Here we have this by way of application. We can receive the same truth that what Paul had. We can receive that same truth in the context of the Word of God. Number one, we do not have to be afraid. And number two, Jesus is always with us. So we should not fear what man could do to us. And in doing so, I want you to notice here, when you look at this passage of Scripture, this really encourages me. There are four truths within this text that encourage and challenge my heart. Let me give them to you very quickly, and, and I'm done. I'm out of time in five minutes, so i got about a little over a minute per point. I hope you're ready to write. Number one, here's the first one. The first truth. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Here it is, number one. The next disciple is closer than you think. The reason why we should not fear, the reason why we should not be afraid is because the next disciple is closer than you think. Did you see what happened in verses 7 and 8? The Bible says that he departed and he entered into the house of a man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Can you see it? Paul walks out of the synagogue after he says, I'm washing my hands of this situation. Your blood is not on my hands. Done. Bye. Walks out. Goes out the door. Walks next door. Knock, knock, knock. A man opens the door. He says, hey, my name's Paul. He says, hey, my name's Justice. And he shares the gospel with the guy that lives next door to the synagogue. And he receives Christ as his Savior. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the next disciple is closer than you think. It's a bit humorous that he goes literally next door to get Titus, justice to come to Christ. And that, if that's not enough, you see, number two, the second thing we find here, also that Crispus comes to know Christ as Savior. You see what happened there in verse number eight. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, also believed the Lord. And many other people come to know Christ as Savior. And so we find here in the text that the next disciple is closer than we think. Do not be afraid. Number two, the second thing I want you to notice. We shouldn't be afraid and we shouldn't give up because the faithfulness of your commitment should be greater than your fears. I want you to think about that again. Listen to it very carefully. The faithfulness of your commitment should be greater than your fears. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 9. Again, all the way down to verse number 11. Let's start in verse 11 since we've read 9 and 10. The Bible says there, and he, that's Paul, continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. The Bible tells us here in the Word of God that after he received the promise of God, when he received that promise of God, God said, don't be afraid, don't give up, I will not let anybody harm you or attack you to harm you. The Bible says he committed. He said, I'm there. I'm going to be here for six months. And the Bible says he continued. The word continued there means faithfulness. He faithfully shared the gospel of Jesus Christ every day, day in, day out for 18 months. He did a great work in Corinth. And we're going to see and we notice because we've got two books in the Bible, two letters in the Bible, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, sprout up from Paul's ministry here in this text. 
When we see Paul and his commitment to God, it is very true that the faithfulness of his commitment was greater than his fears. And what was the turning point for Paul's life? The turning point was this, receiving the truth of the Scriptures, receiving the truth of what God told him. God said, do not be afraid. I'm not going to let anybody harm you in this city. I've got a lot of people in here that are God-fears, that are coming to know me every single day. You be faithful and don't be quiet. Keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful testimony to the fact that Paul, who had a fearful season in his life, took the Word of God, applied the Word of God, and then fleshed out that truth of God in his life. Would God do the same for us? Yes. But we have got to walk in that truth. Number three, here's the third one, very quickly. Trusting the promises of God doesn't mean opposition goes away. Trusting the promises of God does not mean that opposition goes away. Do you see what happened in verses 12 through 16? Look at it very quickly. The Bible says, When Galeo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, now let's stop right there. Remember, God has promised Paul, nobody's going to hurt you. But look at the text specifically. This is so vitally important. Look at what the promise of God says again in verse number 9. Do not be afraid and do not keep silent, for I am with you. Here it is. I would underline this because this is so vitally important. No one will attack you to hurt you. The promise of God was that no one would attack him to hurt him, not that no one would attack him. Did you see that? So the truth that we're living in today in the culture that we're in, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that you're going to get attacked. God never promised that there wasn't going to be opposition. He told Paul specifically, no one is going to attack you to harm you in this city. We ought to live every day with the expectation that there's going to be opposition. But we do not let that opposition quench the zeal and fire that we have for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so trusting the promises of God does not mean opposition goes away. In fact, Paul was, he was full ready to give a testimony and defend himself with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God quickly used uh, Gallio here, shut Paul's mouth. And look what happened here. When Paul was about to open his mouth in verse 14, Gallio said to the Jews, if this were a matter of wrong and the wicked crimes, he said there'd be reason that I should get involved. But this is a question of words and names. So you look at your own law and you do whatever needs to matter. Paul didn't even get to say a word. He did not get to testify at all. The judge simply looked at him and said, you're free to go. This is about the craziest thing I've ever heard. You're going out of here. And so you find here in the text that trusting the promises of God doesn't mean the opposition went away, but God made a way for Paul to continue his ministry. Brothers and sisters, God's going to make a way 
for you to continue your ministry, your requirement as a child of God is to be faithful to Him. And then here's the fourth one. I'm out of time. It goes by so fast. The fourth one is simply this. The grace of God is stronger than the persecution of man. Look at verse number 17. The Bible says, Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. God made a promise to Paul that no one would beat him to hurt him. But here we find a man, Sothenes. Where have I heard that name before? Where are you at, Sothenes? Are you a believer? He very much is a believer. He's a believer in Corinth. So while Paul, who too is a believer, commissioned of God to preach the gospel, did not get beat at this time, did not get harmed, here is a man that did. As a matter of fact, it's almost as if he took Paul's place in this beating. You see, you find Sothenes over, if you would, uh, in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, let's find 1 Corinthians if we could. Uh, let me show you this very quickly. I know I'm out of time. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's worth noticing because it's just uh, there uh, in, in verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, the very first words to the church at Corinth. Paul, he's the writer, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes, our brother. Here is the same man in Corinth that took the beating that was supposed to be on Paul. Paul takes the very first sentence of his letter to the church at Corinth and says he's very much alive and he's very much active and he's very much a part of the church. So what does that tell us here according to Acts chapter 18 about this man who took this beating on behalf of Paul? We learn that the grace of God is stronger than the persecution of men. Some have asked the question, they said, man, Paul got a break but this guy didn't. How did he handle it? He handled it just like Paul handled his previous beatings. God's grace was sufficient for him right when he needed it. And might I say this, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, when you are being persecuted, whether it be verbally, and God forbid, but it may happen one day in the United States and in our culture, physically. If you are persecuted physically for the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's grace will be everything that you need in order to receive the persecution. Because the grace of God is stronger than the persecution of man. Paul clearly understood this. Sothenes clearly understood this. And he took Paul's place as the Greeks beat him in front of the synagogue. It reminds me of a story of a man who took the place of all humanity. A man by the name of Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He went to Calvary. And he stretched his hands out on a cross. They put nails in his hands and nails in his feet and lifted him suspended above heaven and earth on a cross.
And the Son of God died in our place. Jesus took the beating that you and I deserve. And when you look at Sothenes' life, there's not a lot said about him other than the fact that the context reads that he took the beating that Paul was supposed to get. In relationship to that, when you think about Jesus, Jesus took the beating that you were supposed to get. Thank God for his grace. His grace is greater than any persecution that could come from men. In order for you to receive salvation, in order for you to receive redemption, in order for you to go to heaven when you die, the Bible says that you've got to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that rose up from the grave. And you've got to recognize and repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior. You have to see and confess and recognize you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And it is through Christ that you receive salvation. It's not through a religion. It's not through joining a church. It's not through any type of ritual. It's really about a relationship. A relationship between you and the Son of God. Can I ask you a question today? Have you ever trusted Christ as Savior? What about you there watching? Have you ever trusted Christ as Savior? I want to give you that opportunity to do so right now. Could we just join in prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Maybe you're here today. and Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Here on this Labor Day weekend, why don't you let this be the day that you get right with God? It's a strength that only God himself could give us. If you're here today and you'd like to trust Christ as Savior from your heart to God, right now, right where you're sitting, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. And this morning I ask you, Will you forgive me of my sins? I trust you as the Messiah. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia. 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.